Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is the Roy Green Show podcast. I want you to listen first. I'll assume that you know about the video and you know something about the apology and you've talked to people about it and you've formed some level of opinion on this. I want you to listen first to Donald Trump and his apology, and we're told that initially he wasn't going to apologize. But reaction from within the GOP and reaction publicly forced Mr. Trump to say this. Listen. I've never said I'm a perfect person, nor pretended to be someone that I'm not. I've said and done things I regret, and the words released today on this more than a decade-old video are one of them. Anyone who knows me knows these words don't reflect who I am. I said it, I was wrong, and I apologize. I've traveled the country talking about change for America, but my travels have also changed me. I've spent time with grieving mothers who've lost their children, laid off workers whose jobs have gone to other countries, and people from all walks of life who just want a better future. I have gotten to know the great people of our country, and I've been humbled by the faith they placed in me. I pledge to be a better man tomorrow and will never, ever let you down. Let's be honest. We're living in the real world. This is nothing more than a distraction from the important issues we're facing today. We're losing our jobs. We're less safe than we were eight years ago. And Washington is totally broken. Hillary Clinton and her kind have run our country into the ground. I've said some foolish things. But there's a big difference between the words and actions of other people. Bill Clinton has actually abused women, and Hillary has bullied, attacked, shamed, and intimidated his victims. We will discuss this more in the coming days. See you at the debate on Sunday. So, yeah, I said it was an apology. That's what people are calling it. That was not an apology. If you're a Donald Trump fan or supporter, you're probably upset with me now. You should be upset at your man. I know it's 2005, and we'll open the phone lines and we'll talk to you about this, but what did he say in case you haven't heard? He, um, he said when he approaches a beautiful woman, he can, I'm just looking at The Guardian, I looked at all sorts of releases, and then I looked at the British press because they, they don't hold back. And The Guardian newspaper bragged, said Trump's bragged, that when he approached a beautiful woman, he can grab them by the you-know-what and kiss and grope them because he's a star. The newly married Trump reminisces about making a pass at a married woman. I moved on her, and I failed. I'll admit it. I did try to... And then he uses the F-bomb. She was married. And he carries on. He says, I moved on her like a... Then he used the B-word. But I couldn't get there, and she was married. I'm automatically attracted to beautiful women. I just start kissing them. It's like a magnet. Just kiss. I don't even wait. And when you're a star, they let you do it. You can do anything. 
Hillary Clinton's response was, this is horrific. We can't allow this man to become president. Uh, Paul Ryan has uninvited Donald Trump from an event. There was a peer together in Wisconsin in his home state today. Anyway, Toby Condliffe is a former superdelegate for the Democratic Party at their convention in 2008 when he supported Barack Obama. Toby, what's your reaction? Oh, Roy, I don't know what to say. I'm, I, I was not a Trump fan before, but I'm embarrassed as an American. I'm disgusted, uh, and I just don't know what to say. This, we, I, I did support Barack Obama, and I think you have to look at he and his wife and their two kids and whatever your political views, you have to respect them as people, as a family. I don't think you can respect Donald Trump, uh, who's been married three times uh, and who disrespects women. Uh, and, and there's nothing wrong with being married again, but, but uh, he shows no respect for, for women. And the words he used, you say... Uh, that he said he could grab a woman by the you-know-what. Well, I don't think many of your listeners know what's being referred to by the you-know-what. I think it's disgusting what he said. I think most, I think and, most and, listeners know what, uh, what it means. Most listeners will have, will have heard, but it starts with the letter P. And, oh. and, uh, but, Toby, I'm already <laughs> seeing emails. I'm al- Toby, I'm already seeing emails saying, come on, this was 2005, and it was a locker room conversation. What do you say to that? I think it reveals an attitude that has, he's been accused of having this attitude on his television show. And uh, there has been no proof, if you will, of this kind of an attitude until now. And there is the suggestion that a lot of the recordings that were made before he went on the air when the mics were live have yet to come out. Uh, And a lot of the people who have been contestants and technicians and other things on that show have confirmed that this kind of banter was not just 11 years ago, but was recently when he was on his show. Now, there's, there's talk, and I tweeted on this earlier, there's talk that uh, and it was released in 2014, but there's talk that it's going to be re-released, and it has to do with a clip um, from Hillary Clinton when she was 27 years of age, and a lawyer defending an accused child rapist, and um, the clip suggests, according to people who've heard it, that she's trying to blame the child. She was the lawyer representing the alleged child rapist. And the woman, uh, she's now a woman, was the 12-year-old girl at the time, has never forgiven Hillary Clinton. Um, Is that relevant, to have that released in maybe a reaction to or response to the release of this video? It it may be relevant, but it's not comparable. Uh, Here was a young lawyer acting to defend a client. And every uh, accused, rapist, murderer, whatever, deserves to be defended in court. And uh, I don't know the details of the case, but 
certainly uh, she did a good job. She got this gentleman off with time served. Uh, since you first called me to invite me on this program, I did listen to that tape, and I, I can't fault her for being a good young lawyer and advocating on behalf of her client. Okay, let me ask you this, uh, this final question, and I do appreciate you coming on on short notice. Is this going to impact, do you think, the election campaign? It'll, I, I suspect it'll impact the debate in some way tomorrow, but will it in the longer term impact the election on November the 8th or has there been so much said, so much written about, um, said about Donald Trump, and it's all just, it hasn't had a tremendous impact. It, in many cases, hasn't had an impact at all. He remains strong in the polls compared to Hillary Clinton. Do you think this is going to be potentially a deal breaker for a significant percentage of American voters, and particularly women who might have been inclined to vote for him anyway? I think that uh, it has already affected the campaign in that he was supposed to appear on stage today with Paul Ryan, the Speaker of the House of Representatives, and he was disinvited. Uh, and so now you have the leading Republican in the House of Representatives who doesn't want to appear with him. Uh, so it's already affected uh, the campaign, and anyone who respects Paul Ryan will be upset with uh, Donald Trump. Uh, whether it will just change the minds of the loyal Trump supporters, I doubt. But uh, it should. Toby, uh, it's, it's an election campaign like no other. Uh, fortunately, we haven't seen one like this before. And hopefully we don't see another one like it again. But I, I do thank you for being available to us. And tell us again quickly what the, uh, dem what's, the, uh, what's the website for Americans who wish to vote well, on November the 8th? Thank, thank you for asking. And I just want to emphasize that the presidential election is important, but so are the senator and congressional elections. Right, so right. please register to vote at votefromabroad.org. Got it. Votefromabroad.org. Toby, thank you for the yeah, time. Thank you. And thank you, Roy. Toby Condliffe, former Democratic Party superdelegate to the 2008 Republican or Democratic Convention. You're listening to The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML. So when the Donald Trump video was released, and I listening to it early, early, early this morning, you know, it was still nighttime outside, but we'd switched from PM to AM. I'm listening and watching, and the first thought I had was about our CMP women. As I listened to Trump and his, quote, apology, I was thinking about the women I've been talking to for the last, I think it's five years now, maybe longer, about what they endured as um, police officers, our CMP members, as well as civilian employees, the sexual harassment, the sexual assaults, the violence, the bullying, the intimidation, and I wondered if the day would come, frankly, I have to tell you, I wondered if the day would come that there'd be an admission that we would see a commissioner of the RCMP, never mind this one, but a commissioner of the RCMP stepping up and saying, we apologize, this happened. Whether there would be a federal government that would stand up and say, we apologize, this happened, any government, and it happened this week.
The RCMP and the federal government have announced an approximately $100 million settlement of class action lawsuits for RCMP women subjected to sexual and other harassment and assault for decades. Janet Merlow is a former RCMP officer who began the class action lawsuit on behalf of one of the one of the lawsuits on behalf of the women in the RCMP. She was on stage with the commissioner and the federal public safety minister during the settlement class action suit public announcement. She's the author of No One to Tell, Breaking My Silence on Life in the RCMP. Hi, Janet. Hi. How are you? More importantly, how are you? I'm okay. (laughs) I'm okay, too, now. We're going to talk here. Krista Carley is a former British Columbia RCMP officer many years and one of the drivers of the class action lawsuits, and a person, Krista's uh, been with us many, many times and talked about the assaults and the and the violence and the bullying that took place, and she said that RCMP management tried to cover up the aberrant behavior when they became aware. So Thursday happens. Krista, how are you feeling? And thank uh, you for joining us. Oh, thank you. Uh, again, relieved, surprised. Yeah, still taking it all in, I guess. And Catherine Galliford was a former RCMP corporal who sued the RCMP. She was the spokesperson for the force during the Pickford trial. Some nasty things were insinuated about Catherine by some people in RCMP management before they settled the case. And Catherine, your case was settled a a month or two ago. But on Thursday, you're watching what's going on on the stage uh, and, and the commissioner and the public safety minister and the apology and the emotion and... How are you feeling? Thank you for joining us. Uh, thank you for having me. And I'd like to say hi to Janet and Krista, my troop mates, mm-hmm. that I went through Again. training with. And uh, how am I feeling? I can tell you that um, when Commissioner Paulson made an apology, I was smiling. And then when Janet Merlot cried, I cried with her. And but for some reason, I couldn't wipe the smile off my face, but I just got off the phone with um, a female member today who is still being harassed in the workplace. And um, so I'm not smiling so much now. And she has written letters to Commissioner Paulson, and he's not replying. So I don't really know if that was a real apology. Well, there's uh, there's a lot of work to be done, I would imagine, to change the culture. But it's uh, disturbing to hear that just days after, the commissioner apologized with a tremendous amount of emotion. I mean, he I thought he was going to cry. Um, and then the public safety minister and the employment minister got up and took credit for the government, of course. That's what some of the politicians will do. But this is still going on. Sherry Benson Podalchuk, former RCMP officer, the author of Women Not Wanted. Uh, you were one of the first people I spoke with, Sherry, and you detailed the uh, horrific experiences you went through. Thursday must have you settled out, or you settled your case or, uh, a number of years ago. How did Thursday feel to you? Well, uh, good, uh, good afternoon, Roy. Uh, thank you very much uh, for inviting me, and good afternoon, ladies, and congratulations. I can tell you, Roy, I was doing my happy dance. Uh, I was actually making dinner, and I just sort of looked up at the news, and I had to take a double take when I was listening to it, and I just had this big smile, and I was very excited for, for the women because... Having it settled, but also having that public apology is really important. For for just, be, it's not so much about the money. It's it's the the leader who's supposed to be the leader saying, "I'm sorry, this is what's happened to you," and. 
just to add on to what Catherine had said, now, he, for it to be truly authentic, he needs to back that up with, uh, as the dust settles and this progresses and moves forward, he needs to back that up with his words with, uh, you know, following through in these different complaints. And I don't know, that might take a while for that to finally ripple down into the front line. Well, they have, no, they have no choice at this point, man. Really, they yeah. have no choice. But uh, what I'd like to do, what I'd like to suggest, Janet and, and, uh, and Krista and Catherine and Cherry, uh, Krista, Catherine, and, and uh, Janet know each other. I think you were all troop mates, right? We were, yes. So what I'd like to do is get out of the way, and if you wouldn't mind just talking about, for a couple of minutes anyway, talking to us about what is what was what is important for all of us to understand about what happened on Thursday, how how we got there, and 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 how some, I don't want to use the word surprise, but we certainly talked about that in the past, all of us on the air. How surprised you were that it actually happened? Maybe Sheila Fraser was the was the uh, sort of the catalyst that made it happen. Okay, go go, Janet. Janet, oh, it's your turn. I, go. Yeah, I think um, I I think they finally once the numbers got up to the five hundred mark, and and you know I, all these women like Sherry and the, the ladies that came long before us trying to make change and and and. All the they were ignored and they were dismissed and and I'd like to acknowledge all of them because this this kind of all took took place and started but the movement itself started long before we ever before I ever spoke out for sure and um, I think once the numbers reached 500 the RCMP was forced to stop and take a, a long hard look at itself and and in doing so they realized that this this is not just a few disgruntled employees. There's, there's lives been lost here and lives been destroyed. And, and I think, I think it all. Once they started taking a, a long, hard look at it, and perhaps it was in anticipation of Sheila Fraser's report that she's going to, you know, finish. Yeah. But I think they they realized that it was time to do this, and thank, <laughs> thank God they did. <laughs> They ran out of options and out of time. Yeah. You, you had, I mean, it took a lot of courage to go public. It took a lot of courage to take on this national institution. It took a lot of courage to say, this has actually happened to me and happened to others. And it, to stand up and, and, and be visible and make the accusation to defend yourself and others took a tremendous amount of courage. All of you. All of you. Well, you, you have to stand up and do the right thing, and, and I, I think that was my experience when Catherine came forward and uh, with Janet as well. And, uh, again, like what Janet said, this affected so many women. And, uh, I mean, this has gone on for, for so many years, but really in the focus of the media in the last five. So I think the RCMP uh, really was constantly being told, you've got to do the right thing here. And, um, and, and I... I know there. I've been contacted by a couple of people already today, um, saying that there's still challenges, and, and also how do we encourage people who haven't contacted a lawyer, or who haven't made a claim, or maybe retired 30 years ago? Um, their voices need to be heard, and we need to be diligent in, in making sure that everybody is included and no one is left behind. 
I think, Roy, what, what this has done now is it has opened up the floodgates where you, yes, people will still be, they will probably be intimidated and, and scared and uh, in some cases reluctant to come forward, but at least they know it has been done and it was successful. It was tough. All of you need to be so congratulated uh, on what you have done. Uh, this is, will go down in historical news for the rest of eternity. For this organization to actually admit it and then come publicly to re- try and resolve it, but the, I think for for me, for me the reason why I did it, I spoke up, was because if I didn't say anything, then I was part of the problem, and and I think all of us can say that we liked our job and it was unfair this happened, and by speaking up, our goal was to try and make a change, and they have done that. This is such a wonderful day. You're listening to The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML. With me are Janet Merlo, former RCMP officer who began one of the class action lawsuits on behalf of women in the RCMP. She's the author of No One to Tell, Breaking My Silence on Life in the RCMP. Krista Carley, a BC RCMP officer previously many years, one of the drivers of the class action lawsuit. Catherine Galliford, former RCMP corporal sued the RCMP after being the spokesperson for the force during the Pickford trial, and Sherry benson Padalchuk, former RCMP officer, author of Women Not Wanted. Now, I read that specifically a certain way, like I read a newscast. <laughs> Names, stories, on to the next one. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Very well done. So, <laughs> here I'm, this is what I kept hearing all day, you know? This is what I heard Thursday, Friday, today. Boom, on to the next one. And I'm thinking... If I can, I have to say, though, it's it's been like with your help and other media people that have stayed committed to this uh, national disgrace and uh, for keeping the pressure up and the, the, you know, the public aware, and, and we owe a lot to you as well. Well, thank you. I mean, I just, it was a privilege to talk to you. And, and, and to, when I found out what was happening, there was no other choice than to pursue it. And I'm glad other media people felt, felt the same way. But as I hear these sort of news deliveries, I'm, I'm thinking these are the people I've been speaking with. These are the people who experienced horrific actions physically, emotionally against them. Uh, do you, Catherine, do you think that... Um, can we talk about this? Is it should criminal charges be considered against some of these people? Yeah. Well, there's no statute of limitations on sexual assault, mm-hmm. so why don't we go back to that? Why don't we go back to uh, the accountability factor and the transparency factor? Because I have girlfriends who are being asked to go back into the workplace, and they're saying no, and I'm going. I could not work in the environment with that person and these people are sexual predators so explain to me why the independent i don't even think we we don't even have one we don't have an independent oversight body to oversee um criminal criminal offenses against the female police officers or police officers in general within the rcmp and i think we're all getting tired of watching sexual assault, sexual exploitation, um, rape, whatever you want to call it, um, fraud, uh, corruption. And we're all going, who is being held accountable? Well, exactly. And that's why we all 
started to go to the government to say, can you help us? Well, it, it, you know, to everybody, uh, as I was listening on Thursday, I thought, well, hang on a minute here. You can't just walk away from this. You can't. I mean, it's important that you're getting that they're that they're going to provide you with some compensation for your suffering, give you an opportunity to to rebuild your lives, uh, with, with, you know, with, with some financial support and, and and some 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 financial foundation. But you can't just walk, Janet. You can't. They can't just walk away from from what took place, can they? Uh, well, and the problem is that they, they are and they will, you know, because as a result, even if this had, per, even if it had gone to trial, it's still civil litigation. It's, it's civil trial. And I don't think any criminal charges ever would have come from it. I'm hoping that from Thursday forward, there will be criminal charges the next time that there's a complaint put in or, or, or you know, a, a sexual assault reported. I hope, my hope is that there will, out of this, come criminal charges. But for, for what's happened in the past, unfortunately, we're never going to see it because there's, there's, no, there's no accountability. There's, there's an apology and there's an acknowledgement. But to be honest, you'll never see any of those people go to court. Roy, uh, I, we, I would like to weigh in here. Sorry, everyone, but I'm going to weigh in. Janet, you know what? Those from Commissioner Paulson, those were crocodile tears. He had his little handy Kleenex with him, and he was reading, I'm pretty sure, a script that said, insert tears here. And you know what, Janet? You fought the fight, and you're still fighting it, but you know what? I, quite frankly, I truly believe the RCMP is not fixable. I think that it has to go to provincial police forces only. And I think the RCMP has gone by the way of the dinosaur. I'm done. I can't do it anymore. You're listening to The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML. I called him Canada's mayor on Twitter about a minute ago. Mayor Hector McMillan joins me from Deutschland. And uh, Trent Hills, Ontario mayor, who had the IRE nanonife pancreatic cancer surgery in Germany on Thursday, the surgery that the Ontario government and its bureaucracy, health bureaucracy, OHIP, was not going to fund in the United States. How are you, Mr. Mayor? Hey, buddy, I'm just awesome. How do, I mean, tell us about the surgery. Tell us about how, you know, what the surgeon said and, 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 and how did it go? How, what's the experience been like in Germany? Well, this is a state-of-the-art hospital. Um, it was built in the 30s. It's been totally rehabbed. The surgical rooms, um, whatever you want to call them, the surgical theaters, uh, are, they look like they're right off the, off the Star Trek Enterprise. It's, it's just amazing how advanced things are here and um when i woke up the surgeon said to me uh when he came to see me after i got out of recovery he said everything went uh, perfectly well as best it could be expected and that uh, there were no extenuating circumstances there were no difficulties in fact he didn't even send me the icu he sent me right to my room wow wow so they uh they 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 did it quickly i mean what's involved in an ire 
nano-knife surgery, heck. So they open up the abdomen? Uh, well, depending on what it's for. Uh, right. I mean, you can use the IRE on, on lots of different organs, like the, the liver or kidneys, uh, even using on, on limited on colon. But for the pancreas, they do need to open you up to get to the pancreas, and then they use ultrasound to guide the probes into the pancreas, uh, into the correct position around the tumor, and then they crank the voltage up to 30,000 volts and they incinerate it. That's Amazing. it. Dead. Five minutes. Five minutes. From, and from, from after setting the probes, it's all over in five minutes. So yeah. couple, so you you go right to your room and uh, you're awakened and because I, I talked to you just a couple of hours after you had the surgery. Yeah, I was still in the recovery room. It's amazing, and you're feeling well. Yeah, I'm feeling great. I mean, so, I've got some. I've got I've got to get over the you know the typical uh, abdomen uh, discomfort, but right. uh, that's nothing unexpected. Yeah. So what's ahead for you in the next uh, couple of days, couple of weeks? You're staying in Germany for a while, right? Yeah, I'm going to stay here and make sure that all the uh, the bugs are out of the whole thing, make sure that there's no complications. Uh, they want us to hang around for uh, for a couple of weeks, and uh, we're going to do that. And then, then we're going to talk about potential chemotherapies. Okay, so that's going to be necessary as, as follow-up? Uh, it could be necessary just in case that there's anything that's... Uh, escaped um, before. I mean, I've been dragging this out now for a year trying to get help to get this thing out of me. Right. And, um, you know, most pancreatic patients don't even make it a a year. So I'm I'm fortunate that I lived this long to have the damn thing taken out of me. Yeah, it's gone now. And so so you're, you're feeling good. The surgeon's report was essentially positive, right? Oh, very positive. Do you have your good news? Oh, he came into the he came into the room smiling and and joking and wow. Oh, he was very upbeat. Doesn't get any better than that. So when you get back to Ontario, you have a message for for anybody. A message. Well, that's an interesting word. <laughs> a message. Um, you know me well enough by now, Roy. I'm going to have a lot of messages, and they're going to be directed at several people who by now should be really feeling foolish. Um, there's a thousand Ontarians every year they are just being left to die because we don't have this procedure in Ontario. We need one of these machines and a PET scan machine in every one of our cancer centers in Ontario. I think there's 14 of them. That's the goal. Yes. Yeah, there's, there's no argument. There's no reason to not have this, this available, this procedure available right across the country and certainly in every province and get it underway not a, you shouldn't be in a province the size of and and with the uh, with the you know the technical wherewithal the the uh, the uh, medical equipment they have one of these machines in a Toronto hospital there's no way you should have had to go to Germany to have this done no way should have been done in Toronto and all and all the money in the world to just throw away lots of other goofy stuff so what do you want to say to the Canadian? What do you want to say to the Canadians who were on your side all along, heck? And they got on the GoFundMe page, and and they uh, they 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 supported you, and they still still support you. Well, I've said all along. You know, you can you can know it yourself. You can tell your family and your loved ones there is help out there. There is alternatives out there. 
challenge your doctor, make sure you keep well informed because even our physicians are not up to date on what current technologies or alternative therapies are out there. And they only tell you what they know. So you've got to do more research on your own. And it's unfortunate that you have to do that, but you need an advocate to work with you. And I was fortunate enough to have my sister, who's a great researcher and you know knows how to, to weed out the gobbledygook from the good stuff, which is important, and find other alternatives. Because some of these alternatives are right in our backyard. And I've now gotten calls from guys in Alberta who are starting up a clinic where they're going to do focused hemotherapy right in Canada. And they've made that offer, that service available to me. So well, that's exciting to, for that to be developing in Canada. I'm looking forward to you getting home and, um, and getting an opportunity. Because um, I'm going to make a, uh, going to have to get, get together and a bunch of us get together and and uh, meet face to face because uh, that you know that that has to be done. But uh, talk to the people across this country, heck, who uh, who went on the GoFundMe page and made sure that uh, that they did what they could to help you get to Germany. Well, I, I can't thank them enough, Roy. There's there's no way I can thank everyone enough, and and I'm I'm deeply appreciative for what they've done. And the best I can do right now is to work like hell to try to make sure we get this service all throughout Ontario, like I said. And then from there, we're going to go province by province, and we're going to get it all the way through Canada because Saskatchewan also has a machine sitting there idle. And you've talked to Shirley I have. from out there, and, and she's, she's on board for starting to push to get it all through Saskatchewan as well. And there's other provinces. People are contacting me from that, that have heard us speaking on your show. So it's starting to spread, and we'll get... We'll get active, we'll get organized, and we'll get groups in every province who are going to push for this. Pancreatic cancer patients have been ignored far too long. There's only been one single advancement in 30 years, and that was the Fulfirinox chemotherapy. That's the only thing in 30 years for pancreatic cancer. And it doesn't cure you. It'll only help you. But, boy, is it nasty stuff if you can take it. What happens next now, heck, over the days between now and uh, and when you leave Germany medically? Uh, what are they going to do for you at the hospital? What kind of what kind of uh, post-operative te- testing takes place? What have they got scheduled for you? Yeah, they're going to do um, uh, either CT or MRI. I think they're talking MRI, um, and that'll start probably Tuesday, and um, that's more or less just follow up. And they're going to continue to take uh, blood markers to make sure that the cancer uh, level in the blood is dropping. They're testing my blood for blood sugar three times a day because of the work that they have done on the pancreas. They want to ensure that there's been no damage done there to it. And so far that they've been perfect every, every time. Wonderful. So three times a day they, they prick my fingers and do a blood sample. So it was what you wanted. The procedure was the one that you that you wanted to have done. It was the IRE, the nano knife uh, surgery that you had available to you in Kentucky, but OHIP wouldn't fund for you. And it was exactly what you wanted. And the surgeon was skilled in this particular um, medical procedure, right? That's right. He's been doing it for two years here. And um, so there was another family in Ontario that he did surgery on on a family member, uh, and you've talked to them, and and they've been very happy with the outcome uh, of, of that same surgeon's work for them. That's right. 
Yeah, and there's others that are heading there. Um, Dr. Berth told me uh, two days ago that he's receiving a lot of phone calls from potential patients in Canada. You're right. We need a lot of us out there. We need that equipment working, available and working in this country. Looking forward to getting you back home, Heck. Looking forward to getting there. And and you stay active, uh, and I know you will in politics, Mr. Mayor. We need, given what's going on in politics, in the world of politics these days, we need people like you. Well, thanks, Roy. I tell you, there's a lot of closets to sweep out. We'll talk to you soon, Heck. You bet. All the best. Stay well. Take care. You're listening to The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML. My good friend Scott Newark, former Alberta Crown Attorney, former for, uh, policy, Senior Policy Advisor to the Federal Minister for Public Safety, and former Executive Director of the Canadian Police Association, who has just finished a report on Canada's justice system for the Macdonald Laurier Institute. That's right, isn't it? Yes. You have been uh, the go-to voice, not just for me, but for so many people for years, about our justice system in Canada. And I want to talk to you about a couple of things that you've alerted me to, like the case of a guy who's, for for the fourth time, not criminally responsible. When does that run out? Um, But tell us, please, let's start with your, what 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 you have for the McDonnell Laurier Commission, or Institute, rather, about the justice system of Canada. What are you telling them, Scott? Well, the uh, the issue of um, uh, the lack of efficiency of the Canadian criminal justice system has really been sort of front and center for the last uh, couple of years, with people commenting on how, how it's taking longer and longer for cases to get processed. And uh, the, the government of Ontario, the government of Alberta have done studies on it. There's currently a Senate, a Senate uh, Legal uh, uh, Affairs Committee is studying it. Um, the McDonnell Laurie Institute also a couple of weeks ago released, a, in effect, a report card simply documenting the, the fact of the delays and the increasing inefficiency. And so uh, what I uh, decided to do was to, uh, you know, sort of the instinct, always, uh, instead of just stating something, uh, try to drill down a little bit and see if we could find out what some of the reasons for the delays were, why the delays were occurring, and given that, if we could do that, then what some of the things are that we could actually do to try to improve it. And so that is the essence of the uh, report that I did uh, for the uh, McDonnell laurie Institute. And essentially, it, uh, uh, if I was to pick probably the single biggest thing, is it focused on something you and I have talked about for years, how our justice system has become so much more process-focused than it ever used to be. It's not so much uh, now anymore about whether the evidence is relevant to the question of innocence or guilt. It's about whether or not the evidence is admissible. And that, of course, is a consequence of the Charter and the rule of various rulings from the courts that have placed this emphasis on process. And it has had an impact on the way in which the justice system is able to uh, process cases. And in some, some instances, there's some relatively small things that could be done to, uh, to improve it, um, changing a couple of things that about the choices about how cases proceed, whether it's with a preliminary inquiry or directly to provincial court. But unless you have that basic information about what the causes of the delays are, um, essentially uh, we don't have a roadmap as to how to fix it. And one of the things that was noted in the Senate committee uh, study and as well in the recent uh, Supreme Court, a very ironic Supreme Court of Canada decision in a case called Jordan, where they said they set some arbitrary time limits for case processing, 
is that what has happened as well, too, is that we have sort of evolved or take your pick, devolved into what is a, a culture of delay in the justice system and an acceptance of that culture. Uh, again, as you and I have discussed over the years, there's probably, you know, no public system um, less uh, inclined towards self-analysis than the justice system. Right. Which tends to think that everything that it does uh, must be perfect. Scott, in, in layman's terminology, what are we dealing with? Didn't the Supreme Court a few years ago say that, and they, this is part of it, within a specific period of time, you have to be... be, be go to trial, and didn't they release like 90, I think, or, or, or more people, including individuals who were, were charged with manslaughter because their cases hadn't gone to court quickly I think enough? I of the Askov case. That's the one. Yeah, but it, about maybe uh, two, three months ago, Roy, they just came out with another ruling called Jordan, yeah. where uh, they literally set arbitrary time limits uh, on cases that if it isn't, if the case isn't completed by then, there's a presumption that the Section 11 char- delay charter rights in Askoff have been violated. I must admit, I, I got a bit of a smirk on my face as I was reading the decision of the Supreme Court bemoaning this delay, that if they were actually looking for a cause of the delay, they might look in a mirror, seeing as how so much of what has happened in terms of delay is a result of Supreme Court rulings. Okay. Whether that, you know, correct or incorrect, the point of it is we need to identify what some of the problems are right. so we can then start actually making some of the changes to address it. So your your report is available on the website of the McDonnell-Laurier yeah. Institute? Yeah. All right. Yes. And I think uh, what you'll see as well, too, is uh, there's some very practical things. And again, Roy, over the years on different cases or subjects you and I have touched on, yeah. I mean, for example, we provide legal aid funding uh, based on a system where the lawyers get paid, private lawyers get hired by the legal aid system where they get paid based on the amount of time they spend on a case. That's right. Uh, That's right. I remember we talked about that. Maybe so the longer went, you're on the case, the more money you make. <laughs> maybe if we and who's paying you? The taxpayer. System, it might improve the case processing? Yes. So if I'm defending Scott Newark, and I'm a... Uh, well, you'll probably win, because I, I certainly couldn't be guilty. No, no, I'm talking about, you're talking about a different Scott Newark. <laughs> so, so if I'm defending this different Scott Newark, and I'm and I know that there's money available and I can get the thing resolved in 17 days, but if I hang on for another couple of weeks, not that anybody would. Oh, of course not. But you know, maybe it's not just that. worth a look, isn't it? Yeah. You're listening to the Roy Green Show, weekends from two to five on AM 900 CHML. Scott Newark with us now, former Crown Attorney. In Alberta, also the former senior policy advisor to the federal minister for public safety. So, Scott, not criminally responsible is a term that Canadians became familiar with, particularly after the uh, Vincent Lee and Tim McLean um, occurrence. Terrible situation on uh, in Manitoba uh, and uh, there was a lot of talk then about dissatisfaction with someone who's declared not criminally responsible, not everybody, but some uh, being declared not criminally responsible and then just a year later being released into society with no criminal record because they had a mental health issue. Now, there's some validity to the the fundamental position, but there are some issues and some problems and some cases that keep people shaking their heads. Talk to us about this gentleman named Jeff Weber. Well, it's a a case from uh, this week in... uh uh, in Ottawa, last week in Ottawa, 
and what what uh, obviously caught the reporters <clears throat> excuse me attention about it was this guy essentially for absolutely no reason whatsoever he was on a bus he got off the bus he went into a store he bought a hammer sort of downtown Ottawa walked uh, up a block a, a little bit and then um, started hitting the guy in the uh, the head with the uh, with the hammer um, and you know there's no sort of uh, logical or rational uh, uh, purpose to any of this stuff. And so, not surprisingly, it turned out when they, you know, they started doing some investigating, it turned out that he'd been uh, previously, uh, he had, as you put it, mental health issues. But this is a little bit of a twist because this guy has three previous times, uh, going back to 2006, been charged with violent criminal offenses or uh, uh, abductions, um, and each time he's been found not criminally responsible. And as you just mentioned, he then somehow he gets released again, and he again commits another offense, but is ultimately found not criminally responsible. And so um, the, uh, I think that the judge, uh, and uh, to my knowledge as well, too, this is now a new record uh, for Canada. Take your pick, high or low. This guy now has, this is his fourth finding that although he did what he did, he was not to be held criminally responsible. The old, the old phrase was insane, and the idea is that the individual is incapable of knowing whether it's right or wrong or even knowing what he's doing. But what it, what it does more than anything else, I think, is it raises the question, and this is what I certainly hope is going to occur. Um, in, in many ways, the, the same things, Roy, that you and I first started talking about uh, 25 years ago when I was still a prosecutor involved in some of the cases about why repeat offenders were being released on parole and then going out and harming or killing people. Well, here's the same issue, okay? It may well be that this guy is not criminally responsible, but why in hell is he keep being released? Well, that's the question, isn't the it? Way that he is. Let me just go through a couple of the items, that, uh, the, the charges he had. As you mentioned, 06, threatened a mother and daughter as they walked beside the Ottawa River. He had to be tasered, and he was carrying a knife. The next year, he was charged with attempting to abduct a 10-year-old girl from the lobby of a Toronto hotel. In 2011, he left Ottawa for B.C. without permission and forced his way into a car driven by a young woman who he assaulted and terrorized. Yeah. And then he, then, then came the hammer incident. Yeah, and you know what? When you read the, uh, the extracts from the, uh, the judge's decision in this case, and this judge He's somebody who has long experience as a criminal defense lawyer in Ottawa. Uh, trust me, uh, it's, in a, it's in polite language, but this judge is basically saying, in my opinion, that the people who are responsible for his treatment and for the ultimate decision in releasing him into the community didn't do a very good job. And I hope, like in some of the cases uh, that, that I've been involved in where the, it's the parole board or Correctional Service of Canada that are involved, I think there should be some civil liability for the people making the decision that release this guy onto us. Absolutely street. agree. Now, Ken, when the two minutes we have left, there's also the story about uh, the individual who was driving erratically, yeah. again in Ottawa, um, cuts off a car, crosses over the center line, barely missing oncoming traffic, forcing the other drivers out of the way, running into a car driven by an 87-year-old woman, and when the cops arrested one Carson Bingley, they thought he was had been drinking. As he wasn't walking well, he couldn't manage to zip up his his zipper. And what did they find? Well, what they actually found was that there wasn't alcohol. uh, And so they, um, I think they took a saliva test from him or something. 
Um, and he ultimately admitted that he'd been smoking marijuana. So he was charged impaired. It's impaired driving by drug, which is still a criminal offense. But why it's in the news is that the court ultimately found him not guilty because there were conflicts in the expert evidence that was called as to whether or not he was actually impaired or whether or not the uh, the observations fit with the impairment and whether that impaired his ability to drive. And what this really points out, Roy, is that as your uh, good friends Justin and Stefan Dion proceed with the legalization of uh, marijuana, we need to have the technology in place like we have with breathalyzers where we, there's a defined amount of alcohol per, you know, a milliliter in your blood. It would be a defined amount of THC in your blood that equates to impairment because if we don't, it is going to be this nightmare of trying to subjectively decide about what those levels are and, in fact, whether or not that equals impairment. Well, I have to tell you, we know that the Prime Minister, my good friend Justin, smoked dope while he was in office as an MP because he said he had. And and I've been reviewing his decisions over the last year, Scott, and I have some doubts. (laughs) If you know what I'm saying. I do, and I know you think very highly of him. Oh, but, um, good one. The, the point of this really is, though, to take it even back to what we started with, here's an example of a change to the law that if we don't think this through and get the right technology in place and get the right rules in place in terms of evidence admissibility, it's going to have a huge and negative impact on the efficiency of our criminal court uh, processing. Yeah, yeah. So stories are amazing. And uh, you shake yeah. your head. I mean, amazing is not the right word, but... But it's why you need to keep asking the right questions yeah. and getting the right information so we can make the right... Well, you know, in the 1990s, uh, the justice system was the number one issue in this country that people talked about uh, consistently. It was the number one issue. Of course, uh, the economy and other factors figured uh, figured in, but, but justice was the number one issue. And we need to not lose sight of the fact that it remains a significantly important fact of Canadian life. And base our decisions on facts. Yes, yes, sir. Mr. Newark, I thank you for the time as always. Pleasure as always, sir. All the best. Bye-bye. Scott Newark, former Crown Attorney and uh, former Executive Director of the Canadian Police Association. You're listening to The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML. Catherine Swift, former CEO of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business workingcanadians.ca, Linda Leatherdale, former money editor of the Toronto Sun, vice president of, what's the name of that company? (laughs) Cambria. What was it again? Cambria. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Inside joke. Michelle Simpson, former liberal member of parliament, former seatmate to Justin Trudeau. So, uh, I'm holier than thou because I said my buddies in a locker room would never talk that way about women. I wanted to read what was in The Guardian because I'll with, I'll repeat it. My buddies and I would never talk about women that way. And we weren't little softies. I just come in at 6'2 and 235. So anyway, <sighs> Catherine, I've said, and I said it again today, that mainstream media in the United States and elsewhere, like Canada, favor Hillary Clinton, constantly, consistently setting that aside. And whether or not the Trump video was appropriate to be released during the campaign, and this campaign, everything's appropriate, it appears. 
there's some value in reviewing what he said. And then after I did that segment, I spoke with four of the women in the RCMP um, lawsuits, class action lawsuits, who've been on this program for five years and who suffered at the hands of boorish individuals who may yet be criminally charged or should be. So all of my sanctimonious, holier-than-thou stuff aside, what's your reaction, Catherine, to Trump? And I haven't asked you before. Go ahead. She's not answering the phone. I haven't heard her. Catherine, where is she? Well, I don't know. Where, where, what happened? We've lost one of our beauties. So you tried all the numbers, eh? Can you, uh, you can hear me, though. Yeah, I can hear you. Oh, good, good. So, because I didn't have this call screener program up, I was reading the tweets. Can I, um... Yes, please, please, fire away. Okay, I hate to say it, but my father had an expression. And he used to say to me, Michelle, all you can expect from a pig is a grunt. And this man, uh, you know what, I do think he started the meltdown has started big time in that campaign. Like, it, this just pushed it right over the edge. We wondered where the tipping point was going to be, and I think this is part of the tipping point. And, and you know what? We all have heard, we know Bill Clinton is not a purist by any stretch no. of the imagination. But, you know, to throw it back at him, you know, that apology was not an apology. It was an insult. It's almost a slap in the face. And quite yeah. honestly, Roy, I, I'm disgusted with his comments. There doesn't seem to be a regard for women at all. And I don't care. I, I you know, locker room, oh. it's, it's intolerable. And I think it's disgusting, quite frankly. I was disgusted by it. I don't, I don't know what locker room it would be. <laughs> you know, I, really, Linda, yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. I can't even imagine my husband talking like that in the locker room. What was really interesting, he made these comments, and he just been had been married for the third time, and then he was going after a married woman, too. I don't know. You know what? When it goes to politics, we've heard it all, we've seen it all, but... Honestly, in the, my gut feel, it's not just the sexual innuendos. I think there's some financial stuff that hasn't been uncovered. There's certainly the tax issue. And I agree with you, Roy, on the mainstream. They're all up for Hillary. And I just feel so sorry for the American people. Well, look, the, 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 media, the media is in the bag for Hillary Clinton. Well, that's obvious. That's yeah. clear. And it's obvious. And they don't hide it. Mm-hmm. They, they really, they don't hide it. Um, and, and tomorrow I'm going to be speaking with uh, an American woman in, uh, in Canada who's going to be voting in the election. And she emailed me last week that she's going to vote for Donald Trump because her choice was between the bully and evil. So see how she still feels. But I want to read you this. Not everybody heard this. I want to read this, this to you. There, uh, I've been in contact periodically with a listener named Karen. And uh, she emailed for the first time about Donald Trump in March, when the primaries are still underway. And she was uh, supportive of Donald Trump at the time. I'm trying to find the hard copy. Here it is. She, uh, she wrote to me, uh, and she's 
very, uh, I mean, I really enjoy the correspondence with Karen. She writes, I'm a 52-year-old woman with two master's degrees, born and raised in Alberta for context. Thank you for your voice of reason, Roy. Trump, if you actually listen to his words, is the voice of reason and intelligence. He's outplaying the players, and it shows the lack of media objectivity. He is honest and independent. His approach is often brash, but I don't find him offensive. I find him refreshing and the beacon of hope in all of North America. By the way, why do we criticize a sucker punch and not verbal abuse? Why is physical bullying worse than verbal? They inflict the same damage. Now, remember, this was written during the primaries, mm-hmm. all right? So yeah. I sent an email to Karen this morning, and I asked her if she would come on the air today, if she had the time. She wasn't able to, but she sent me this in reply. Uh, Hi, Roy. In short, this audio does not change my view of Trump. The audio was locker room talk. And honestly, I wouldn't want my husband to hear my private girl chats on our ladies' night. Most men speak inappropriately in private to fit in, and I couldn't care less. What I care about is how a president can lead. What is more disturbing to me is that this was recorded, kept, and now brought forward as a tactic. What a dirty campaign the Clintons are running. Wouldn't it be interesting to compare it to what Hillary said in the past, a bill about Monica Lewinsky? I bet there would be some juicy gossip there. I think this leak is indicative of how threatened the Democrats are feeling. However, as Trump once said, there's no such thing as bad publicity. Maybe this will backfire on the Democrats again. And I think it's based on what I heard and what I'm reading on Twitter and email. And I'm just going by what I see. It's not working to the Clintons or the the Democrats' advantage. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Well, it'll be interesting to see when they finally go to the polls. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it, I, I don't know. I, I, Roy, it still rubs me the wrong way, and um, that's just my, my initial reaction. It rubs me the wrong way. Oh, it does more than rub me the wrong way. I, I just, it, it just is unimaginable to me that, you know, he, you know, he would he would speak that way, and he does feel that way about women. You know, Miss Piggy for you know Miss yeah. Universe, and yeah. like there's a trend there. Mm-hmm. So this wasn't just locker room. That you know, it's how he happens to feel. Here's it, another here's another email that I received from Susan. She writes, "I had to turn off your show today." I simply could not listen to any more men defending or dismissing Donald Trump's lewd comments. Women have fought long and hard for equality in our society, and for this kind of language to be completely inappropriate and unacceptable. As a woman, I have to say Trump's comments made me feel degraded and unclean. They are and were uh, not not appropriate then, nor are they now. I have to wonder what his wife Melania thinks of this latest revelation since he was married to her at the time. Was he? Yes, he was. Okay. I wonder, too, how... I can't keep track. I wonder, too, how his daughters and daughters-in-law feel about his comments. Having said that, I do not condone Bill Clinton's former actions with regards to women, nor Hillary's comments about those women at that time. In my mind, these two candidates are both deeply flawed. If I lived in the U.S., I'd have to vote for Hillary simply because she is qualified for the job and he is not, but I would have to hold my nose while doing yeah. so, writes Susan. And, and, and I agree with those comments. Yeah, and I, I, everyone I speak to in the States, a lot of them feel that way. Even the Democrats, like, they're, they're two of the, as, you know, the Americans have been saying, worst candidates in an election ever. 
Roy Green Show. Weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML.